Do, 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 do. Here we go. My name's Todd. This is Gabby. Welcome back to another episode of Zen Parenting Radio. This is podcast number 608. Why listen to Zen Parenting Radio? Because you'll feel outstanding. And always remember our motto, which is that the best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. On today's show, we're going to start with some lighter, silly stuff, I think, but then we're going to shift into highly sensitive people. Is that right? Sure. Um, and let me say why. So I was listening to, I think we've talked about highly sensitive people before on Zen Parenting. I'm sure we have um, because I am one of them. And I kind of, every time I hear a new podcast with Dr. Elaine Aaron or I read something new, which I've done both in the last week, I want to like revisit it um, because first of all, there's a lot of parents listening who are highly sensitive people, but then there's a lot of parents who are raising highly sensitive kids. Mm-hmm. So I, I Todd and I have been talking a lot in the last couple of weeks about words and language and how that can reframe your experience with yourself, your partner, that child. Um, and I, I want to do that. I want to make sure that we talk about what it really means and the, and of course there's challenges. Everybody has challenges, but that really how you can experience your child or the person you love or even yourself in mm-hmm. a more um, intimate and kind way. See your strengths. All right. Very good. Um, so first, we're going to go over here to Kathy's Zen calendar. There's three <laughs> entries that Kathy put on my mirror, which I didn't notice. I was just going to say, did you figure out that they were there? Like how Yeah, long I figured out they were there once you um, told me they were there. So when I get a good Zen day, meaning like this calendar, you know, every day there's a Zen saying, I put it on Todd's mirror and you tear tear it off. I tear it off and I put it on Todd's mirror and three had built up where I felt like his whole mirror was being covered. And I'm like, have you seen the Zen things that I put on your mirror? And he's like, what are you talking about? So Todd, Todd does not fall under the category of highly sensitive person. You're very lovely and sensitive. Well, there's a lesson in there. I, when I look in the mirror, I'm looking at myself to see if I have stuff in my teeth. (laughs) Um, I'm not looking elsewhere, but there's a, you know, there's a lesson in there. Like I am very laser focused and Kathy has more of a radar of picking up what's going on around her. Right. And neither one is better or worse. Nope. They're just who we are. So this is the first one. I'm going to read three of them because one of them is like one sentence. The first one, which I think I can get behind, okay. and I tend to make fun of myself or maybe the parable itself. Okay. And uh, here it goes. Monday, June 14th. Ride your horse along the edge of the sword. Okay. Hide yourself in the middle of the flames. Blossoms of the fruit tree will bloom in the fire. Last last thing, the sun rises in the evening. Okay. <laughs> All right. Is that a Zen proverb? So ride your horse along the edge of the sword. I get it. Like, you know, be daring, yep. mm-hmm. take risks. Along the blade. Hide mm-hmm. yourself in the middle of the flames, lean into the mess. Uh-huh. Okay. Blossoms of the fruit tree will bloom in the fire. We grow by our challenges. Correct. By the Are pain. you with me? Mm-hmm. Sun rises in the evening. That's dumb, except for maybe we grow when we're older. I don't know. The sun rises in the evening because the sun obviously does not rise in the evening. The sun rises in the morning. The sun doesn't rise at all. The world, the earth spins. Mm -hmm. But I didn't like that last sentence. The sun rises in the evening. You get anything out of that? Uh, No, which is why I put it on your mirror. I agree with the first three. I think sun 
rises in the evening. You know, it's funny because I didn't even realize what it said because I was thinking it was about setting. Mm -hmm. So I was thinking that then we start all over. Yeah, no, but the sun rises in the evening. Right, 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 right. The only thing is, I think old people, old dog, new tricks, old dogs can learn new tricks. Yes, that old dogs, listen, I call ourselves old dogs, people who are older understand these things much better. Sweetie, we're going to get to that. Okay. The us getting old <laughs> okay. in a second. Uh, the second one is very short. Lesson one, I give up. <laughs> That's all it says. Uh, there's like most of the paper is white. It's just lesson one, I give up. I actually love that one. Who, who did that one? It just says it's a Zen saying. It's a Zen saying. So I love that one too because it makes me laugh in like, right. Like it goes back to everything we were talking, you know, the Ron Swanson thing. Don't try so hard. Quit trying. Like if we, it doesn't mean we give up on life. It just means we stop trying so hard. For me, it's surrender is the best position of strength you can right. take, which and is a very paradoxical. Uh, I have these surrender moments where my brain relaxes so much and it's like putting down the biggest boulder in the world. Mm. It's so great. Yeah. Yeah. Last but not least, I say this one because I think it's the most interesting <laughs> trying to slash remember. funny. Okay. Huang Po said, I don't know who Huang Po is. Okay. Probably some a Zen master. Zen probably. master. I simply worship Buddha. I ask Buddha for nothing. I ask Dharma for nothing. I ask Sangha for nothing. Then a disciple said, if you ask Buddha for nothing and Dharma for nothing and Sangha for nothing, what then is the use of your worship? Hung Pao answered him with a slap on the face and walked away. (laughs) What the crap is that all about? What are we trying to teach here that the, the Zen masters answered him with a slap on the face and walked away? Well, I... What are you teaching your disciples? It's the funny, the interesting thing about Zen, um, Zen teachers, like true Zen masters, is that they're not always gentle with Mm -hmm. their teachings. And I'm not being like, I mean, with their language, you know, there there is a wake up quality to everything that they are teaching. And it's just every story or parable you read, there's some level of the teacher is, it feels a little... It can sound abusive, mm-hmm. but there is just a, you know, wake up and hear what I'm saying. Yeah. I, I just don't know if that is really the best way that we uh, want to teach. Well, I mean, I there we could go deep about that and maybe really dig into it. Well, first but, of all, a slap in the face doesn't necessarily need, need to be a bad. You can like lightly, gently. And maybe it's metaphorical. Yeah. Maybe it's wake up. doesn't with, say it's metaphorical. Oh, you mean maybe the teaching is metaphorical. Yeah, or yeah, maybe when they say a slap in the face, it's a wake up to reality. It yeah. doesn't mean, again, the thing about Zen is it's not always what you think it is. Right. So, um, so. Okay. Um, so that's the first thing. Thank you, Zen Calendar, for continuing to feed our show with stuff to Can talk about. Can I tell about. you what my favorite one was yesterday? Because I only put the funny ones on yeah. here. Is it said, it's something to the effect of that quit teaching or telling people what you believe, mm-hmm. embody it. Mm-hmm. And I love that so much. And again, it's not new. I feel like we say that a lot, but it that's one of those things that helps me put down a boulder yeah. because sometimes I feel like I get the option to, I get the opportunity to write and to do this show. So I get to talk, 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 talk about all these things I believe. But I really think the bottom line of anything is just be it. Mm-hmm. And some people aren't going to get it. Like some people, you could be a great person and people accuse you of being a bad person. Like yeah. you can't win over everybody. Um, but th- it's such a relief when people talk, want to tell you who they are too much, then there's that feeling of 
just live it. Yeah. And then you don't need to explain it to people so much. Yeah. You know what I mean? So embody what you want to be instead of tell people what you want to be. There you go. Um, I feel the need to uh, say thank you to a friend of mine. His name is Ryan Bayron. And he mentioned us on his TikTok video. And we actually got a spike in attention. It's funny. He just posted something that was very Zen parable like where he said, you know, wait to the end for the teaching. And he walked away and he never came back. <laughs> so I wonder what type of comments he got on that. But uh, the name of his TikTok channel, I don't even know what TikTok is really. It's called the Holistic Mystic. So I just want to... His page. Uh, his page. I don't know, whatever it is. So I just wanted to say thank you to Ryan. He's actually also on Team Zen and he support. he actually jumps in on our Zen talks quite often. So I, I want to talk about Team Zen real quick. So I have a friend who's going to help us catalog the 123 shows that we've done, the Zen Talks. For Team Zen. For Team Zen. Because really what we do on Team Zen is we just do a completely different podcast, but it's live. It's live where people say, I'm challenged by this. And the last one, let me see if I can find the last two we did, was uh, Zen Talk number 123. We talked about a, most of them are moms, but there's some dads that jump on. Uh, she had a nine-year-old uh, that was struggling with meltdowns, a 15-year-old boy smoking weed, and an 18-year-old daughter who was lashing out. Mm -hmm. So we just kind of had a back and forth mm -hmm. with these parents. And then Zen Talk number 122 uh, was managing family illness, nine-year-old boy struggling with self-regulation and perfectionism. Mm -hmm. So once I catalog these, our Zen um, people, our teammates are going to be able to scan through all 123 shows and quickly go to the issue that we talked about on that show. So I'm really excited about that. And if you want to support Kathy and Todd, you want to support Zen Parenting, check out uh, Team Zen. It's free for the first month if you enter the coupon code FRIEND. And I think our next Zen Talk is next week, and it's a Zoom conversation. Mm -hmm. So anyways. Um, all right. So now the next thing I want to talk about mm -hmm. is this song that I'm about to play. Sweetie, why am I playing this song? That's Rick Springfield. That's yeah. my that's my um, fifth grade love. Or no, it was probably a little later than that. And most other girls in the eighties love. Yeah, and you know what's so weird, Todd, is mm. right now, you know, we have in we have XM and Sirius Radio. Yeah. And he, on one of the stations, and I can't remember what it is, I, I, it's, I'm assuming it's going to be 80s, yeah. but when we're like kind of, you know, when I'm going to all these stations, he is a DJ for one of the stations, and he's pretty hilarious and very self-depreciating. Yeah. He knows um, who he was. He what? And so he talks about that, and he'll be like, and then I went to a party, and someone walked up to me and is like, who are you, and why are you here? Like, he rips on himself. Yeah. Um, so, but anyway, I... The so you, reason that we you played that song is because the other day we were in the car, and so night. Let me say this for really quickly: "Working Class Dog," which was his album that went crazy, came out in 1981. Is that the one with Jesse's girl on it? And it's the one with the he had this dog that kind of looked like Spuds McKenzie, and oh, okay. he always had him as the like kind of represented him, and he was on the cover. Uh, anybody who is from Gen X knows the cover. I think we should start um, using uh, Smokey, our <laughs> rabbit, as our representative. Because it's funny, the dog's wearing a tie and a shirt. And, of course, you know. and we can do that with Smokey. And you have to remember that Rick Springfield was Dr. Noah Drake on um, General Hospital. They're going to say Dr. Drake Ramore. <laughs> no, but you know they took that yeah. from Noah. You know, it's the same yeah. kind of thing, right? But yes, yeah, so he was Dr. Noah Drake on General Hospital. So he had that, and then his music started to come out. It was like an explosion yeah. of Rick Springfieldness. So 
Anyway, um, so it was on. You were singing so, every word. Yeah. So American Girl, that song. There are people that will know that song because they know Working Class Dog, but it wasn't like the big song from that album. Do you know what I mean? Um, <laughs> I. And I was, we were in the car, I think we were going to see my mom because we were all just kind of riding along and I sing everything in the car. You know, everybody gets annoyed, I'm sure. And the, wait, I want to make sure that it's on that album. Oh my God, nobody cares. But I I care, I care. So why don't you, while you look up that album, I'm going to tell you why I played that thing. Okay, (laughs) wait, just hold on. Just stop that for a second. (laughs) These things are important to me because... I don't like to get it wrong. Oh my gosh. I love getting it wrong. What? What album is this on? So it's on Success Hasn't Spoiled Me Yet, which was the second one. Ah. So maybe for people who loved Working Class Dog and they're like, I don't know that song. It was on the next one. It was on the it was on the album that had Don't Talk to Strangers. Anyway, the song came on and I sang every word to it in the car, just, you know, just kind of singing. And when I say every word, I mean every little nuance of the song. You know how when you like know when the song goes up and down and when it stops and where, and I sang every single word. And then I, I just looked at Todd and said, you know, I know every single word to this song and I can, I forget the word mailbox. Yeah. Like I'll be like, here's the letters, the take them thing. to the postal to the blue th- place. Thing. I can't come up with the word mailbox. I can't come up with the word spatula. I can't come up with people's names who I see all the time around town. Mm-hmm. And why do I know all these words? And I don't, and this song is not played. You haven't ever. listened to this song in probably three decades. I know. And yet you knew every word. I know. And it really got me thinking about music. Like my mom, um, is diagnosed with dementia and she, they play music where she lives mm. all the time. Right. And it's like from the forties and the fifties yeah. or whatever. And there is something about music that wakes up a part of your brain. And I know that we know this because, you know, everybody who's seen those videos of like you put earphones on an older person and all of a sudden they come to life or they remember their dance or there, it's just a totally different area of the brain. Yeah. But the, the, the detail that we remember, do you know what I mean? I do. Well, and the reason I want to play is because we've been, we just watched the watching uh, the haunting of Hill House. Yes. Again. For a second time, because it's such a good miniseries on Netflix, and there's two characters, and they were called Mr. and Mrs. Dudley, <laughs> and we could not, <laughs> neither on. one of us can come up. Now, we watched it 12 hours before. And we watched it for days. And you called it Mr. Mrs. Darcy. Mrs. Darcy. And our daughters are like, what's with you, they're old so people? They're so offended. They're so offended. Like They're like, we just watched this. I know. And you already have substituted Mr. Dudley with Mr. Darcy. And the substitution of Darcy, everybody knows makes sense because that's like, you know, Jane Austen stuff. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it it is like there is a place in my brain for a, you know, a last name with a D Mm -hmm. and I pulled out Darcy. And you know what, Todd, I feel like if people listened five years ago, they'd, they'd hear us talking about how much that bothered us. And to me, it's now interesting, but I didn't care that I said Darcy. I'm like, whatever. I think it's awesome. I think it's hilarious. I mean, not in the moment when we're trying to find the word. What's weird, one thing I've noticed is I could see in your face sometimes when you're like, oh my God, I can't think of this word yeah. and I need you to help me what word I'm thinking of. Yeah. The fact that I know you're about to ask me something that's frustrating you, my nervous system gets nervous. Yes. 
and it blocks the part of my brain. Correct. Like if you would say, hey, what's that blah, blah, blah? I'd be like, oh, it's that. Right. But you're like, I can't think of it or whatever right. it is. Yeah. So anyways, just- So yours shuts down too. Mine shuts down mm-hmm. when I when I think yours has just shut down. And I just want to be with you, sweetie. I know. Thank you for being like me. <laughs> um, I feel like we just discussed this yesterday with Skylar. We were talking about when- we have to answer a question under duress yes. or on a time yeah. limit or yeah. whatever. Our brain really does. It's almost like it goes mm. and becomes very pinpointed. Yeah. And we keep, we're like looking around a big dark room with a tiny flashlight yeah. where when you just ask a question with no pressure, mm-hmm. all the lights are on and right. you're like, oh, I can find it. It's exactly it's, right. It's the same thing that we were talking about a few weeks ago, how when a friend tells you their challenges, you can see so clearly what they could do to solve the problem. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm not using the word should because that's relative to their own. They sure. get to decide. But you can see all these options. But when it's you, it's like the flashlight in the dark room again. You're like, I can't see any way out. I know. And our brains are so interesting. And there's a, there's a reason for all of it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like the reason it probably gets micro-focused is to get outside stimulation. You know what I mean? Like everything makes sense. A little bit. And it's a little annoying because this never happened to us when we were little. But I do know all the words to American Girl. That's the important thing. And not only that, now I want to be a podcast of resources. Okay. And now our listeners now know what album that that song was on. Success hasn't spoiled me yet. I'm so glad. So everybody... Todd gets upset when I'm like, hold on, because I made him actually stop for a second so I could find that album because I was... But that's important to me. Pop culture, when I listen to a podcast or like there were watchables or whatever, and they're talking about pop culture and they get it wrong. wrong, What are you talking about? Like figure, take a minute Mm -hmm. and make sure that you are talking about the correct album. Yeah. Um, So the last thing before we get into the gist of it is I'm going to play a part of a movie. You ready? I'm ready. It's our time on the edge. I'm just so tired, Billy. Mm. Poor baby. I never thought I'd be so tired at 22. And that was your quote, right? Yes. Poor Jules. What movie is that from? St. Elmo's Fire, which the other day, um, it was this weekend, my oldest daughter went on a two-week road trip with her best friend. They just got in a car and went on a road trip. So Todd and I had to um, get up at 5 a.m. to help them get in the car and wave goodbye. So we had all this time in the morning, which we usually don't. So we used it very wisely and watched St. Elmo's Fire for the 80th time. And um, that scene is when Jules, who we love, who is fabulous, finally figures out that she's probably not making the right choices. And I wrote a um, Zen parenting moment about our desire to make everyone else think that we're great. You called it pretending. Pretending, faking, like acting like everything's okay. If anybody questions, questioning them as not being like optimistic or positive or or just pretending that, you know, just wearing a lot, as Brene Brown would say, a lot of armor mm-hmm. where you're just like, no, nothing bothers me. So if you want to subscribe to Kathy's twice a week Zen parenting moment, just scroll um, up a little bit or down a little bit on your phone and it's one of the first links and all you got to do is put in your first name, last name and email address. And then if you want to join Team Zen, there's a link on there as well. So Two different things. Um, were you about to say something or is it my turn? Uh, um, I want to do Prisma. Okay. So Prisma is our partner of the week and Prisma is a totally new way to go to school. 
So ask yourself if your kids ever look forward to going to school or do they complain about being bored in class? Prisma is an online alternative to traditional school for fourth to eighth graders. Prisma knows that most of today's kids will end up working jobs that, that don't even exist yet. So they focus on developing 21st century skills like creativity, critical thinking, and collaboration rather than having kids memorize facts and take standardized tests. Prisma offers a flexible curriculum that adapts to every child's interests and learning speed, which means your child learns what they're curious about, is never left behind, and gets the attention they deserve from Prisma's expert coaches. Prisma is an innovative online school for 4th to 8th graders that give them the flexibility to be their best selves while developing the skills they need for a successful future. Admissions for this fall, 2021, are now live and filling fast. Go to joinprisma.com to schedule a call or learn more. Wonderful. Highly sensitive people. So I, like I said, I was listening to a podcast this morning um, on the Good Life Project. So I think it actually came out this morning. Um, and it was with Dr. Elaine Aaron, who she wrote her book about highly sensitive people about 25 years ago. So this is not necessarily new information at all. It was just enjoyable to kind of hear, um, you know, her perspective on things now and what has happened in regards to talking about highly sensitive people because one of the things she talked about right off the bat is how to use words to describe something that people aren't ready for <laughs> you know like how do you use language to describe something that many will view as a problem when really it has a lot of um positives to it mm -hmm. you know Really, what that is, is it's an opportunity, you know, that when we're having a hard time finding the right word to describe something that's that's uh, multi-layered, you know, it's not just one thing. It's not just, oh, you're sensitive, period. It's like, what does that sensitivity mean? And I wanted to... So there's actually four parts to being a highly sensitive person, and I wanted to go through each of them and kind of discuss them, Todd, and how you experience them or don't experience them or what you think about them or what you used to perceive, what it, wherever you want to go, okay? Right. So there's four. Um, these are basically – and, and the, you know, high sensitive – high sensitivity can show up in many ways, but generally they show up in these four characteristics and the acronym is DOES, D-O-E-S. So the D stands for depth of processing. So basically the highly sensitive brain, and by the way, it's genetic. This isn't like just a thing. This is, there's genetic components to being okay. a highly sensitive person, um, is that you have an enhanced perception and increased awareness and then Highly sensitive people are always taking in a lot of information and then thinking very deeply about all of it. So sometimes decision-making speed is slowed down. Um, sometimes they need more transition between tasks. Not because they're necessarily – and this is where we'd say something like, well, they just get so overloaded and burdened. But really it's decision-making and feeling and processing and making a good choice. Well, and they're taking in more than I am. Which helps me with empathy because I need to be empathic with this because, you know, our kids sometimes show tendencies of being more than a normal degree of sensitive. I think all three of them are. Um, and when I say that, it, there are different, this is like everything. Um, there are extremes, less extremes. There's all these places in the middle. But in they have all, as you said, demonstrated areas where you say they're very sensitive. And this is a particular, because I feel like I'm on the other side of the pendulum. Yeah. 
kind of like the mirror thing of me just not noticing certain things, yeah. whereas they notice a lot more than I do. Yes, yes. Um, and, you know, depth of processing is also about everything needs to be, like, for example, the experience that we just had with figuring out the Rick Springfield <laughs> album, you know, you're like, nobody cares, nobody cares. I care yeah. because when I think about things, I look at something and say, how long would that have taken to get that correct? And this is not about perfectionism. Right. This is about why would you not get the correct information and then figure that out and make sure that feels right? Why would you just lay down something? It's like, Todd, and I don't say this as much anymore, thank God, but during the four years of the last administration, the other guy, how many times did I say, how could someone lie like that? How could someone do that? How could someone go through the day like that? And you're like... They can. Mm -hmm. These are, and somebody who is highly sensitive literally could not. That would be the so overwhelming yeah. to hold all of that and to not process it through in in a honest way. Right. So anyway, the next one. The next one is overstimulation. So this, I love this, and and we're going to talk about this later on too. Um, when we come to sensitivities, but overstimulation, noticing other details in the environment, being more emotionally impacted by a social environment. So it just makes sense that you get more tired, need to back away from a situation, need to know when you're going to go home, mm -hmm. need to know that. And what's really important about high sensitivity is it doesn't mean that you don't have like strength or determination, or it doesn't mean that you are weak. It means that when you go into an environment, you're literally taking in everything, the smells, the people talking, the way the air feels, um, the hot or the cold, where are the doors. So you're going in there and you're almost getting like you're reading 15 books at once. Mm -hmm. So you can understand why after that eyes would get very tired quickly. This kind of reminds me of some podcasts we did in the past where we talk about the reticular activating system, which is the idea that our brain helps us by not taking everything in because if it did, it would be overwhelmed. Uh -huh. And now what you're helping me understand is that human beings have varying degrees of how Correct. much they allow in. Correct. And I happen to be somebody who... I think my reticular activating system filters a lot of it out. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it sounds like what you're saying is people that are highly sensitive are just by their very nature taking a lot more in. And that's, I like the way that you said that because it's not by choice. Like I don't walk into a place and say, oh, I think I want to smell everything. Mm -hmm. I just can smell everything. Yeah. So it can be very annoying because I smell things everywhere. And it can be, and that's not, and sometimes it's really good. Like I can't tell you how many times I tell my girls they smell good mm -hmm. or you know, you walk by a, a bush, mm -hmm. a flower bush, and you're mm -hmm. like, I can smell that. Yeah. And it's amazing. So this is the thing. So there's very positive. But you can also walk into an environment and be like, this is intolerable. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Well, or, and you have just one example for you. Whenever anybody sneezes in the car, uh -huh. you have to roll down the window. Correct. And I think that that's weird <laughs> and interesting. Why do you do that? Um, because... Uh, if somebody sneezes in the car, I can see it. So I have to let it go out the window you or else it's what? just, I just see this, the sneeze, the, the energy of the sneeze is see. Okay. See is not the right word because you'll think that that means I'm like seeing visualizing spit. something. Um, 
if somebody sneezes in the car, then all of that is moving around the car. So you have to let it go out the window. Mm-hmm. And it, there are people who are laughing and are like, that's real ridiculous. It, that's fine. Like yeah. I'm 50 years old. I can tolerate other people's feelings about this. But for me, and I don't roll it down for like a long period of time. No, it's like two seconds. Yeah, I just roll it down, then lift it back up so the sneeze can leave. It's an energy. Yeah. Sneezing is energy and you're letting it go. If you and I were having- So it's not like a mucusy thing. No, 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 no. And if if you and I were having a really hard conversation in the car, Mm -hmm. I would probably roll down the window a Mm -hmm. little bit too. You need to have like energy. And for anybody who's like, that doesn't make sense. Energy is movement. Energy is always moving. Um, it is, we are all in motion all the time. And if that's the case, then you need air and filtration to keep things moving. At least that's how I experience energy. I'm not going to tell anybody else. What's funny is I first think of like, whenever I take customers out to dinner, I always try to get a round table. Like what's the difference between a round table and a square table or a rectangular table? My dinner will go so much better if we're at a round table. 100%. And you'd be like, well, what's the difference? Everybody's within the same proximity, but it's not. So like, that's my version of the sneeze. Like right. it's totally different where somebody be, might be like, oh, there's no difference at all. Well, and there is a very literal explanation to that, which is when you're at a square table, you are sitting next to two people and you can't talk to the person mm-hmm. across the way. Mm-hmm. At a round table, you can talk to everybody. Yeah. So there's a very, and again, it's yeah, there's still- a, a, there's a literal help yeah. too. Yeah. It's still a sensitivity to, I want to be able to have an experience with everybody, or this is this- movement of round is more comfortable than these squared off edges. Well, and I'm thinking of my men living group and we get in together once a month and I need the, I need, we always circle up or we sit in a circle. And if one guy is kind of outside, I need him in. Yeah. Otherwise mm-hmm. he, I feel like he doesn't, he's not in. Well, and he's not, and he may be choosing that subconsciously or consciously. There are people, one thing that you want to keep in mind is most of the time it's going to just be an oversight, yeah. right? It's good. I would probably say 60% of the time the guy's like, oh, I didn't realize Or there it. wasn't enough room or whatever. Yeah. Right. But 20% of the time it is a conscious choice because the energy of that circle might be too mm, much. Interesting. Also remember, um, Todd, well, not remember, I haven't said this yet. Highly sensitive people, 30% of them are extroverts. Mm. So don't get the impression that introversion and highly sensitive people go together oh. always. Okay. Because sensitivity is like there, like you said, there's a range of where someone might pick up on a lot of what's going in on in a room or depth of perception, but they don't get as overly, overly stimulated by it. Like these are the most common traits, yeah. but you can still be super sensitive and be an extrovert. Yeah. So there are some people that may want to be out of the space so they can be better listeners. And then there's 20% of them who want you to pull them in because they don't feel like they belong. Yeah. So well, what helps me is like maybe that person who is a little bit further sure. out in the circle might be highly sensitive. So instead of me doing what I normally do is just get your ass in here. Right. Be like, would would you consider moving in? Or, or you could say, you know what? I noticed that in our circle, you're a little outside. Are you comfortable there? Because if you are, stay. Yeah. But please join us if yeah, you want yeah, to. Yeah. So you give them the option because, again, your belief that the circle needs to look a certain way is your belief. Yeah, right. And that story I tell myself. That circle could be, like, intense. Right. It usually is. Well, you know something that I love that is, I know, very hard to understand for you is if we are all together as a family and you guys are active and I can sit and not be doing what you guys are doing but be in your presence – 
it's very soothing to me to not have to deal with the stimulation of whatever you guys are doing. Like but playing still, board games? Yes, but all of you are happy. Nobody needs me. So I'm not trying to tap into your yeah, emotional. We're, we're at the table. You're on the couch reading a magazine That is That is one way. Um, yes. Or like say you guys are doing, <laughs> here's another perfect example of like language. There's this place called Go Ape. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Todd could not come up with go ape. So, so go ape, it's a zip lining place <laughs> in the trees. You know, you just zip line. And Todd called, he kept calling it gorilla time. <laughs> <laughs> I called it gorilla time. So, so now, now we all call we it gorilla, gorilla time. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, it was so funny the I first could, time you did I, that. I, I, I don't know. It's because I've been to go ape like five times. And why? And I'm like, all right, we're going to gorilla time, right? <laughs> why can't you? Why can't we, just like I can't come up with mailbox, why can't you find Go Ape, but you can create Yeah, gorilla Co- creating gorilla time is easier <laughs> than me recalling Go Ape. Oh, my God. But say you guys were at gorilla time, and you were all doing your own thing, happy, and I could just sit and watch. I, I, I That's not how I always feel. I want to do my own things, too, and interact. But there are times that that's a very soothing experience for me because... I'm not absorbing everybody's energy. I'm not tuning into what everybody needs. Everybody's fine and I can just observe you guys. And that gives me a break from the emotional responsiveness. And just to kind of counteract that, if you guys are doing something and I was sitting on the sidelines, <laughs> like that's like a nightmare. I know. And and that is, this is, I, I always take these opportunities when we're talking about things to like help Todd understand myself because I know it doesn't make sense to him sometimes, but the next one, E, so, so far we've done depth of processing and overstimulation. The next one is emotional responsiveness, empathy. And it actually says that brain scans have shown that HSPs have more active mirror neurons, which probably doesn't surprise you at all, which are responsible for feelings of empathy for others um, and just are more active in empathetic responses, emotional responses. So highly sensitive people feel both positive and negative emotions more often and more intensely. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, which I'm sure doesn't surprise you because everything is so intense, which coming from me, um, and and it's not always like on you, meaning I'm not always, these experiences that I have, I'm not always relaying all of them to Todd. It's not like being an emotion or a highly sensitive person means that you are annoying and constantly saying this is hard or this is great. You just realize that sometimes my experience with this flower is more intense than it is for somebody else. Or my experience with this squirrel that's running across the street right now, and I'm very worried about mm-hmm. it, seems silly to somebody else where my my emotional attentiveness to it is very strong. Oh, what were we just talking? Well, like whenever we watched the soccer match yesterday. <laughs> oh, yeah, I couldn't watch. So... Kathy doesn't know. I know diddly squat about the Euro Cup. Kathy knows know less, less than me. <laughs> but I knew Italy was playing England. And I said, let's go. We, we got out We for the first time in a while. And I'm like, let's just go to Pints, have a beer, have an appetizer, and watch the end of the soccer match. Because sure. it was the final. And they went, they, at the end of 90 minutes, it was one to one. And then they went through overtime. So then it was a shootout. Mm-hmm. I'm like, this is the best part of the game. This is the shootout. Like, this is what you're watching. Kathy could not watch it. You have no investment. You didn't know who England or Italy was before we, when you woke up yesterday. No. You don't know who these players are. You don't know who these goalies are. No. But you can't 
watch. But I can see their face. Like I, when you, they put them up on the screen and I'm like right there with them. So it's as if that is your child. I mean, I'm overstating here, but I'm like, I don't care if these guys have a bad day because somebody's going to win and somebody's going to lose. But you're like, no, that person is going to be in pain. One of these two goalies is going to be be in pain. pain. Or these kickers, these guys who are kicking it. The kickers. They're kickers. (laughs) What do you call them? Uh, Soccer players? I don't know. I don't know if I call them. But in that moment at the shootout, they're kicking the ball. Wouldn't people say kickers? No, they wouldn't. Okay, well, whatever they're doing, those five men who get chosen... To kick at the end and everything's on their shoulders. I'm not going to watch that. And and people say, but the, you you are the king of. But that's the best part to you. Yeah, this is the most painful part Sweet, to me, sweetie. If everybody would just see the world through my lens, I it like, would be such a better world. And the thing is, is like, okay, Hill House is a perfect example. Um, because Haunting of Hill House is scary. I've seen it before, yes, so I know a lot of what's going to happen. But it is frightening, and there are images that are frightening. So I put my hand up in front of my face, not on my face, but like I kind of just put it on the screen so everything is a little bit distorted because I can't see through my hand, duh. And it's better. The sensitivity lessens. And everybody's making fun of me, but they're, you don't understand that that is working for me. You are, this is what happens. You are in the movie. Correct. And I, to, so this is like, there, one's not better and one's not worse. I'm just explaining the difference between Kathy and Todd. I'm kind of envious of you to be in the movie because when I watch a movie, I know that there's a man with a boom mic. I know, Todd says this all the time. He's like, there's a guy with a camera. So that is my way of detaching from this experience. So I, I judge that my experience of watching the movie is less than yours because I'm always thinking about the stupid guy with the boom mic. So I'm not in it. I'm jealous that you get to be in it. And I also make fun of you for putting your hand up. So like when someone's having a scary experience or like a sad experience, you don't feel that. Not, I mean, if it's a real person in pain, it's, it's harder for me to, to detach from it. But there's also some escapism of why I don't watch the news. Yeah. Like, I don't want to watch the news. That's. It's so negative. It's so negative. Every story. Yeah. Um, yeah, I get it. And, and I do, and I can do that occasionally too. But I, get, I think I, I think what I'm saying is I, I purposely filter out a lot of negativity Yeah, and you know, well, some- and that's good. You have a, you have a really nice working fluid filter. Like when you said that the visual that gets into my mind is like, what does a filter do? Like yeah. it, it helps a lot of things escape. Yeah. Right. And I feel like for me, emotions, as they're coming through my filter are bigger yeah. and they are not bigger, going to louder. filter through. Yeah. And when emotions or anything that's r- about feelings, it it gets, and I don't want to say that it gets stuck because it doesn't necessarily stay there for good, but it's going to take a little more time to digest that through. Yeah. Like I can't just do it quickly. Yeah. Um. So, okay. So that one was emotional responsiveness and empathy. And, and again, it doesn't mean that somebody who isn't a highly sensitive person Like everybody can be empathetic no matter who you are, but there's this like thing that it's a little more intense or you feel it first. And I think initially like um, Glennon did a great job of talking about this in one of her books about being a canary in the coal mine. You know, the whole purpose of a canary in the coal mine is you'd send a canary down and see what would happen to them if other people could go down Mm -hmm. into that coal mine too. And I think that highly sensitive people are canaries because they go into a situation, they say, this isn't right. Something feels bad. Like I was telling um, 
one of my daughters was trying to, uh, one of my daughters who is very sensitive was trying to watch American Horror Story because one of her friends from camp told her it was really great. And she's like, mom, it just feels horrible. Mm -hmm. And then I started relaying to her how when, you know, talking about Britney Spears for a second, I remember when her song Piece of Me came out right after her conservatorship. And it's this great song. Like if you really just can stand back from it, it's a great song. It's Mm -hmm. called Piece of Me. But I remember the first time I heard it, I felt sick to my stomach. Mm. I'm like, something is wrong with this song. Like something is like, there's, I feel bad for listening to it. Like Mm. I feel like I'm getting joy off of something I shouldn't. Uh. And, you know, and I can't say that I've felt that way about every single song of hers since. I just know that that song made me feel yuck. Mm. So those are kind of experiences where you're like, I don't know what this is. I don't have the story for it, but something's not right. Mm. Um, so the last one, the yeah. last S, um, it's similar. It's sensitive to subtleties or sensory stimuli. Basically what that means is that highly sensitive people are really attuned to nonverbal cues and small changes in the environment. And they can be really overwhelmed by things like bright lights, loud noises, strong smells, rough textures. I know that was similar to the other one about being overstimulated, but it's really more about the thing that I want to focus on there is the subtle social cues from people, which is why it can be difficult to be with people mm-hmm. because, and, and, I, and this is helpful as a parent, as a, as a parent who is highly sensitive, I can watch the girls, their facial expression changes this much, like a tiny bit, and I know that something's off. Now, that's amazing when you're trying to figure something out. It sucks when you just want to go on with your day. Yeah. So a discussion that Todd and I have a lot is I tend to, when I'm with the girls, uh, if I can, if I feel like something is bothering them, which they're human beings, and in their teenage years, and so things are going to bother them that have nothing to do with us and things that we don't need to solve. But if I'm feeling that, how do I not have that conversation? And what I mean is, I don't say, "Okay, tell me what's wrong." I'll just say, "Hey, what's going on?" And then I watch. I can see it. I can like, and then I, you know, you can see what that their eyes do a certain thing. I'll be like, well, yeah, but it, you're saying that, but it sounds like that really bothers you. I can tell they're, um, they do something with their face. Like, for example, I feel like a lot of the things that I offer to you can sound, when it comes to parenting, can sound like I'm micromanaging your behavior. I know that. Mm. But really what I'm doing is I'm trying to say, you didn't see what just happened. You missed that. Like, okay, let's go back to something that's really simple. Because we talked about this last week. Remember we talked about putting the right cheese in Skylar's egg. Yes. <laughs> okay. And you were like, okay, I will, but you liked this cheese before. So I'm, you know, I don't know why you're having me change this cheese, whatever. And if you're watching her... You can tell that she does not feel good about asking you to change mm-hmm. this cheese. She's not trying to be difficult. Yeah. She's just asking. And when you are saying this is hard, she's shutting down. Her head is going down and she feels guilty. Yeah. And you are just making an egg. Yeah. And I'm watching all these things happen. So then when I say to you, you know, she just wanted the different cheese. She wasn't trying to be demanding. I know I sound micromanagey, but I'm watching all of that transpire. Well, and I'll tell you my perspective, which is a an unconscious, below the line perspective. It's fuck up. Of course, I think, and I like, have that a little bit you, too. Like, and you know, 
this goes back to like the foundation of Zen parenting. I'm, we don't need to create the situations for our children to have to buck up. The world is going to give them sure. plenty of opportunities. But that, but my below the line unconscious thing is, well, she's going to have to deal with this tomorrow with something else. So this is an opportunity for you to deal with the wrong cheese in the egg. So then you're negating exactly what you just said, which is the world's going to already give I it know. up. So you don't need to. That's why teach I said her. I'm below the line. So. Here's the thing about it, though. This is the subtlety, because I love that word subtlety, mm -hmm. because this is when you say, how do you know, or what do you see? It's so subtle that you don't always have words, and, and even if you started to explain it, it'd be like the Tao. It would start to lose its meaning. Yeah. As soon as you name it, it's gone. Yeah. What I would say is that people can ask for cheese for several reasons. Number one, because they really were excited about a certain cheese. Number two, because they're trying to be demanding yep. and get what they want. Number three, because they want you to feel guilty or they want to be waited on, which is probably similar to the demanding. And the other one is they were disappointed because they thought you understood that they wanted this cheese. All of those kind of overlap. But my point is, is when someone's talking, I can feel which one. And if they just wanted this different, if they're trying to, because a lot of parents will say they're manipulating me or they're trying to, and that's not what they're always doing. Well, the thing that you just said that landed for me more than anything was, and these are things that I'm looking at the stupid eggs in the pan. Correct. I'm not looking at our kid. Focused, just like you are in the mirror. Right. You're looking at the egg. And when you said that our child's head went down. Yes. And she felt guilty, like yes. I felt something in my heart. Yes. And that's not something I noticed. All I noticed was, let me make the eggs myself. But when you said, she's not trying to make my egg making experience difficult and she's not trying to say i'm a princess and i'm demanding yeah. my kind the of fact cheese. that she went inward and thought that there was something wrong with her request correct or taking it a, de a layer even more deeply something's wrong with her correct then if i look at the situation through that lens my God, I'll go to the grocery store and buy you the right cheese right now. Right. But that's not how I reacted. What I reacted was saying how last week she used this cheese and it was fine. Right. And so, so why can't, you know, so the question to her is, well, why can't you have it again? And she's feeling in her system, well, I thought I was having the, we're using eggs and cheese, by the way, everybody, because it's really benign and it doesn't offend anybody. And she's thinking, well, I just really thought I was going to have this cheese, so I'm disappointed. And so you always tell me to ask for what I need yeah. and to, you know, say my needs. Well, just when you said that she, her head went down and because I know that this kid sometimes have a tendency, this kid or all kids and all human beings have a tendency to beat themselves up. For asking for what they need. To your point, it's yeah. not like she's saying, I want my cheese and I get whatever I want. It was the minute she made the request... She went Edward and felt guilty. I'm like, oh, that makes me feel like a jerk. Right. And, you know, we can joke around about it. Like she and I, <laughs> there's been certain things. I mean, just really simple things where she we made a plan. And then the next day I did it in an opposite way. And she'll ask me, did you do it this way? Like we discussed. And I didn't. Mm -hmm. And I own it. And we have a good laugh about it. And a lot of times we don't have to recreate it or make the new eggs, right. you know. But there is a, a willingness to, instead of us, be so defensive. Um, and Todd, you're not defensive. This is just a one situation. Like, I don't view you as a defensive person. But, you know, any situation, if we can let down our defenses and not be so focused on our needs getting met and realize what they're asking, and the answer still may be no. Mm -hmm. We may say this is the last egg. Right. So, so you know, I feel like this podcast should be called Eggs and Cheese because that's all <laughs> we're talking about right now. Another way for me to do it, and I think you were about to explain it this way, so help me if 
um, if the words don't land as well. Instead, instead of me saying, well, you had it last week, right. which is a defensive position, right. I could say, listen, I hear that you want this other cheese. Like I didn't even recognize that I heard her. I just re reacted from her words. I know that you want this cheese and I understand that there's something inside you that makes you feel more comfortable if you have the right cheese or whatever. Like I could have like connected with her in my response, but instead I just basically ignored her and did what I wanted to do. Yeah. And you can be less coachy and you don't have to, cause kids sometimes are like, we'll pick mm. up on that. You, they pick, you could just be like, Oh, you love that other cheese. Yeah. Don't you? Right. Just be a human. Yeah. Like just all, you don't have to be like, you're telling me, you know, just you're like, Oh my gosh, you love that cheese. What if I pull, and then you can come up with something together. Cause she then may say, I'll just have that right. one. Because then all of a sudden that gives her an opportunity to drop her shield. Correct. Um, because then we have two people that are holding their shield up tight. Correct. And she's saying, I didn't want that cheese. You're saying this is already done. Buck up, yeah. eat it. And the the opposite is, oh my gosh, I did the wrong cheese. Yeah. I didn't realize. And then she'd be like, it's okay. Yes. I'll eat it. She, I co totally could have seen her saying that. That moment is just about, do you hear me? Do you know me? Do you see me? Do you value me? And what's messed up about it, it's how hard would it have been for me to make another thing of cheese? It's the story I made up about it, which is, you know, she's just getting all of her needs met. She's, I'm going to spoil her by making the, like right. all these different stupid stories that I, I make up in this moment. And all I had to do was make it, it would have taken two minutes of my life. Well, you know what you and I have been talking about? And I can't remember if we've said this on the show, but we've been talking about how parenting is such a dance because of all the things we've learned about what it means to be a good parent, a good human, a good partner, a good role model. And they all are they all bang into each other. Yeah. So how do you teach grit and perseverance and handling things and dedication, but also deal with empathy and connection and love? And then how do you deal with, you know, focus, attention, but then let go, surrender? They're, they're paradoxical, which is, I you know, plug here for my book, Zen Parenting. My book is coming out in February. The whole book is about paradox. Like, how do you handle that? Yeah. How do you handle when you're trying to teach 80 things at once yeah. and then you get a moment with an egg and cheese and you don't know which where to start? Yeah. And what, what I think is we start with connection and then move into the other areas because I can also see the subtlety of a highly sensitive person when a child is just feeling that they want to be demanding. Now, the subtlety of that is there's a layer below it, which is why are they feeling that way yeah. right now? Where are they not feeling heard where they need to demand the right yeah, cheese? It's not about the eggs and the cheese. No. It's about something that happened yesterday, last year, last week, whatever. And the goal is, can we stay adults and not become 12, 13, 14, 15 and debate them on the issues of cheese and eggs? Because that's not what it's about ever. Yeah. But the truth is, Todd, you and I have had so many experiences like this throughout our lives as parents. And our initial reaction may not always be the best one, does it, but it doesn't mean it was inherently wrong. Mm -hmm. It just, we didn't pick from the right bucket. It's not what you do, it's how you go about doing it. Right. It's not the fact, because I could say no to the new cheese sure. in a reactive way, or, or I could say no to the cheese in a very understanding, empathic, above the line, conscious responsiveness. Right. 
So it's not what you say, it's how you say it. And Or you could say, absolutely, no problem. Or you could say, this is the last egg. Mm-hmm. I screwed it up and yeah. you wanted the other cheese. And so should we have this egg with this cheese or should we have something? Like there's a million different ways, but we're not, this is why, you know, dun, 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 self-awareness is always the most important thing because there isn't one reaction. There's many reactions. And if you aren't aware of where you are, if you're cooking that egg angry at someone from work, then your response about the egg is going to be angry because you are ruminating on something from work. So I just want to say two more things because we have to finish here is I want to say just a few things that are sensitive strengths. Meaning if you, if you are an HSP, here are some things to really hold on to. If you are a highly sensitive person and you feel like it can be a deficit sometimes, (coughs) sorry, these are some things that are good. You notice subtleties. You notice details that other people miss, like body language and environment. You um, progress more quickly. You you respond better in positive interventions, and you progress more quickly through therapy. That's so not surprising. You can feel everything deeply. Um, you can feel great joy. You also feel a lot of pain. I get that. But you can feel joy really deeply. You have a deep love of nature and animals and people, conscientious and thoughtful, intuitive and perceptive. You have a lot of intuition. Um, you have a lot of like hits of understanding. And these are all – so when people talk about sensitivities or if you have a child who is sensitive, you know, sensitive children are exceptional children. And if you have an exceptional child, Elaine Aaron uh, said this on the podcast today, you have to be ready to understand what that means. Right. They're not always going to fit the mold. Like we all want to be like, I have an exceptional child, but that doesn't mean they're doing everything that everybody else is doing. Yeah. They may have differences, which that in itself is exceptional. And how do you help them feel that and own that and be that rather than have them fit into a mold and be on the team that you want them to be on? Mm. There's a lot of, you know nuance in here. So my suggestion is listen to, obviously read the highly sensitive book, um, highly sensitive people book by Dr. Elaine Aaron, and also the good life project, her interview that's this week. So you can tap into both. There you go. Um, a few things. Uh, I am doing this walk with a few of my daughters on September 18th. It's the NAMI walks your way, Chicago. Uh, Kathy, unfortunately will be at a wedding, but Um, I have a team page that you can click on at the bottom of these uh, show notes. I would love for you all to either join me on this team in the form of, you know, financial sponsorship or just donating to the cause or just walking with us, meeting us in downtown Chicago. So for those of you who are local, go to the link on this uh, page that I created, Men Living slash Zen Parenting Radio, NAMI Walks Your Way page. And then uh, Men Living, what is it? It's a virtual and in-person community of guys connecting deeply and living fully. No requirements, no creeds, no gurus, no judgments. All you have to do is show up. Um, So I hope that if there's any guys out there that want to check that out, go to menliving.org. I also do have a coaching practice, toddadamscoaching.com, for sessions free, uh, coaching for guys. And then uh, lastly, Jeremy Kraft. He's a bald-headed beauty, avid company, painting and remodeling throughout the Chicagoland area, 630-956-1800. Um, anything else you want to add, my darling? Well, you were talking about NAMI, just so you know that <clears throat> I don't know what's in my throat. Um, I can't talk. The National Alliance on Mental Illness is what you. that stands for. And we've had Alexa James on our podcast. She's been a wonderful friend of ours. We are huge supporters of what NAMI does. Um, it's just a better place because NAMI exists. So thank you to NAMI yes, and help us goodness. support these partners that we believe in. And then um, we'll do our little music here. 
There it is. I hope you all have a wonderful week and thank you for listening. And keep trucking. Thanks for listening, everyone. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode and feel free to leave a five-star review. It helps people find us. The best part of what we do is getting to spend time with our listeners in an awesome community of parents who have come together over at Team Zen. Team Zen is a great opportunity to connect as much as you want with a group of like-minded parents, and you'll even get exclusive content from Kathy and me. Find out more about Team Zen on our site, zenparentingradio.com. We know your inbox needs more hopeful and helpful info, so sign up for the Zen Parenting Moment. Two times a week, you'll receive a quick read that will boost your day and improve your outlook. Sign up at zenparentingradio.com. While men and women, moms and dads, parents and non-parents are all welcome here at ZPR, we know most of our followers are female and moms. So today we're shouting out an opportunity that's just for the guys. Men Living creates opportunities for men to gather together to give and get support and build friendship. I am one of the founders of the group, and you'll find me every week helping facilitate our virtual meeting on Wednesday nights at 7.30. Interested or want to share the details with someone you love? You can find the Zoom link at menliving.org. Ready for a Gen X view of personal growth? Join us for Pop Culturing, our podcast filled with humor, fun, and a characteristic emphasis on self-awareness as we explore movies, TV, and pop culture. And don't forget, I coach guys. So if you're interested, head on over to toddadamscoaching.com and schedule a one-on-one session. First session is free. Finally, I want to give a special thanks to our founding partner, Jeremy Kraft. He's a bald-headed beauty, and the company he has is Avid. They do painting and remodeling throughout the Chicagoland area. Go to avidco.net or give them a call at 630-956-1800. Thanks for all your love and support, and keep on trucking.